This week, we begin a new series, and the series is based on uh, the letter of John, uh, the first John, uh, which was written to a beleaguered, bewildered group of believers in Asia Minor uh, who were worn out. They were tired. Uh, they, they had been under persecution they had been under the, um, they, they had been faced with all kinds of strife and struggle. And they were beginning to wonder, this whole God thing, is it real? Where is God? Where is God in the midst of this toil and the midst of strife and the midst of the struggle and the midst of the persecution? And it leads, the, the persecution leads John. This is the same John that writes the Gospel of John. It's the same John that writes the Revelation to St. John. And it's the same John that writes this letter. And all throughout this letter of 1 John, he addresses the readers as little children, You see, John was the only one that grew to an old age and died a natural death. All the other apostles were martyred and their life, life were, they were cut short. But John lives a full life. He lives to be an old man. And it's at the end of his life that he's writing this letter and he addresses the readers and the recipients of the letter of 1 John as little children, as his beloved. And he wants them to know this in a world of uncertainties, In a world that has no assurance whatsoever of what is to come, you can be certain of the reality of God. In the midst of the strife, in the midst of the toil, in the midst of the struggle, you can be reminded of the reality of God. And this is where we're going to explore for the next seven weeks. We're going to work our way through uh, the letter of 1 John. And I pray, just as the first readers hearts were encouraged and reassured of the reality and certainty of God, I pray that over the next seven weeks that your hearts would be encouraged, that your hearts uh, would be reassured of the reality of God working not only in the world, but working right in your lives as well. Let's read uh, together the first few verses of 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, that which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. Nothing is certain, cried the Greek philosopher 2,000 years ago, Heraclides, when he said that the only thing that is certain is change. And I think we can relate. There is nothing certain in life. Our health is not certain. Our businesses are not certain. Our financial situation is not certain. Our relationships are not certain. We wake up every day in a state of flux and in a state of uncertainty. 
And just as the early Christians reading 1 John for the first time were wrestling with this idea of the uncertainty of life and the uncertainty of tomorrow, they needed a good word from God. They needed to know that in a life of uncertainties that there was one thing that was certain is that God is real and that God is for them and that God could be made known to them, that the certainty of God, the certainty of the reality of God could be theirs. Many of you know that four months ago, we faced an incredibly uncertain future with the loss of our three-year-old daughter, leaving us in a state of wondering what was next. How could this happen? How could something that seemed so certain, a little girl that would grow up and grow old and I'd be able to walk down the aisle, how could something so certain all of a sudden within a matter of hours be turned upside down and we would be forced into a state of uncertainty? It was in that state of uncertainty that I needed to know and be reminded that God is real that Rob and Jen, you can be assured of the presence and the reality of God, even in the midst of the storm. And so as we unpack these four verses this morning, I pray that your heart is encouraged just as my heart has been encouraged the last four months. And I can only imagine how the early readers' hearts were encouraged as they were yet again reminded of the certainty and the assurance of the reality of God. The first thing that John does to reassure the early readers, and again, us this morning, the first thing that he does to reassure us of the certainty of the reality of God is he presents to them the objective truth of Christianity. He reveals to them that the truth of Christianity, the truth of the foundation of your faith in in, in the existence of God is based on objective truth. And he does that here. He gives them the objective truth of Christianity in verse 1. What does he say? Does John say, hey, I don't know what else to tell you other than believe. He doesn't say, "All, all you have to do is have a little faith. No, what does he say? He says, that which we proclaim to you, we've seen him. We've heard him. And we've touched him and we walked with him. What John is trying to say is the foundation of our faith and believing in the reality of God is not based upon just some pie in the sky belief system. It is based on the real objective eyewitness truth of the early apostles, including John. He wants them to know this message. It's not a dream. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something that we hope happens. It actually happened. And the man who gave us this ministry, Jesus Christ, we've touched him and we've seen him. We were on the boat with him. We grew weary with him. We saw him break bread and turn it into and feed 5,000 people. We, we saw him hanging on a cross. And we saw him when he was raised on the third day and we saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. This Jesus who we believe in, who is the author and founder of our faith, the the foundation of the faith in which we have in the reality of God, he's real and he's true. It's the objective truth of the gospel of Christianity which gives us the assurance and the certainty that he is real. And John wants us to know that. This message we proclaim, it's based in reality I often say to people, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, 
the thing that we need faith for, the thing that we need a lot of faith for is to not believe in a God, but to believe there's actually no God. Because there's not anybody on the face of this earth that has gone to the moon and back that has, faith, that has searched the far extremes of the universe and then can come back and say, I can prove without a shadow of a doubt the non-existence of God. I can prove without a shadow of a doubt, I have searched high and low behind every tree and underneath every rock, and I can prove without a shadow of a doubt that there is no God. To have faith in absolute nothingness takes more faith than we can even imagine to believe that there is no God. No, John wants us to understand this is based on fact, based on truth. It's funny, you never hear, you know, 40, 50 years ago, when, when we sent the first man to the moon, Neil Armstrong, when he came back, you never heard anybody say, well, I guess you hear some conspiracy theorists say, of course, there's always some, uh, but, but overwhelmingly, you did not hear, hey, Neil, uh, that's good for you. you, you believe in a moon, but I'm not going to believe in it. You never heard anybody rarely say, right, uh, that thing you talk about 200 years ago, the Revolutionary War, uh, I wasn't there, so it, it's good that you believe in this thing called the Revolutionary War, but it's, it's not something I'm really going to hold to as, as, as truth or as fact, right? And so for Christianity, we believe in not a message that is a fairy tale or just a story, but we believe the gospel is what? It is good news. Good, verifiable, truthful, objective news is the gospel that we believe in. It's the basis of our faith. It's the foundation of our assurance. Christianity is fact reported by the observation of eyewitnesses. And in my opinion, one of the worst things that we can do to delegitimize Christianity is to confine Christianity to a personal subjective experience. To simply say it's personal belief and personal conviction and personal experience and what's good for you is not good for me and what's good for me is not good for you. When we, when we confine Christianity for ourselves or for our children or for others as something that is something that just personally affects me and my beliefs and my subjective experience, we delegitimize Christianity. A few months ago, Marco Rubio was on TV and he was uh, being asked about uh, his beliefs concerning uh, abortion and he said, I, I believe life begins at conception and the, the reporter cut him off. And he said, stop with the religion. Stop with your personal beliefs. You are a politician. Do not bring your religion into the public square. And he says, no. No, my belief is based on objective truth that life begins at conception. And I believe that even my religion coincides with science. That, a, that at 17 weeks, a baby's heart begins to beat. And that no one child is alike. That you can study the DNA of every single person that's ever been born on the face of this earth. And each one is distinct and real, and beautiful. And the reporter cuts him off again. He says, stop, stop with the religion. That's your personal belief. You keep your personal beliefs to yourself. I want to talk facts. And unfortunately, we have even done it in the church. We have pushed out the objective truth of Christianity and the objective truth of the gospel. We've pushed it out of the public square. We've pushed it out of conversations. We've pushed it out of the marketplace. And we have turned it into something that, hey, it works for you, not for me, and that's okay. We've turned it into simply a subjective experience and forgotten that the Christianity that we believe and that we hold to, the foundation of our faith is based on the objective truth 
the objective news of the gospel. So we can be certain this morning. We can be certain of the reality of God based on the objective truth of the Christian faith. But then John turns and he says, not only do I want you to be reminded and be assured of the reality of God based on the objective truth of the gospel, I want you to experience it as well. And this is where he takes objective truth and he, and he marries it with subjective experience. This is what he says in verse 3. That, you, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. The second way in which we are reminded and assured of the reality of God is not just by the objective truth of God and the reality of Christianity but because of the fellowship that we experience with God and others. What John is saying is, I want you to take that objective truth, this objective Jesus that objectively walked and talked uh, the face of this earth, a real Jesus, and I want you to experience the fellowship that we experience with the Father. So how does that happen? It's when on your worst day, in your loneliness in your moment of doubt, in your moment of darkness, you begin to experience God in a way that you've never experienced him before. When John says, I want you to have fellowship with God, he's saying, I want you on your worst day to be able to experience the love and the comfort and the mercy and all of these truths that you know about God, which is the foundation of your faith, I want them to become manifest in in you and through you, through fellowship. I want this objective truth to become a subjective reality for you. That is not enough just to know the objective truth of God. I want it to be made known to you and real to you. I want it to manifest itself in you. And we do that through what John says, fellowship with the Father. We experience fellowship with the Father, with God our Father, when we begin to take all of those truths and we begin to realize them in our lives. I'll tell you this. I never needed fellowship with God more than on that Saturday night in an ER when those doctors came out and gave me the worst news I could have ever imagined. In that moment, I needed all of the objective truth that I had learned and studied. I needed all the objective truth of Christianity to make itself real in my life and my heart. I needed to experience the fellowship of the Father. I needed to experience the fellowship of the Father, which manifests itself in love and mercy and grace and comfort. And it's in those moments where we are reminded of the reality of God, that God, you are making yourself known to me through fellowship with you, because I can now sense you and feel you, and I can sense your comfort and your healing touch. And anybody that has gone through a season of doubt and darkness and hurt and suffering can understand We are reminded of God's presence. We are reminded of his certainty and his assurance in our life when we begin to sense all of the ideas about God and all the truths about God when we begin to see them working through our lives. But John says we not only experience fellowship with God, but he says it also enables us to experience fellowship with one another. John says, I want, you to exp- I, I want you to be reminded of God through your fellowship with him, but I also want you to be reminded about God and the reality of God through the fellowship that we experience. And it's one of, it's one of, the, re- it's 
one of the greatest defenses of why we have church, one of the greatest reasons for why we have church. It's so we are constantly reminded with one another through prayer and through small group and through study and through whatever it might be that God has called you to. It simply might be what happens the 15 minutes after this service that we remind one another of the reality of God. We remind each other of the sovereignty of God and the peace of God and the love of God. And John says, I want God to be made known to you through the fellowship that you experience with God the Father and the fellowship that you experience with one another. And in my opinion, the church can be one of the greatest apologetics, greatest defenses for the reality of God, or it could be one of the worst. See, when the church is divided and the church is not in fellowship and harmony and unity with one another... It's one of the worst witnesses to the world of the reality of God. But when the church comes together and we realize with all of our differences and all of our backgrounds and all of our disagreements and all of our political stances and whatever it might be, that God can somehow make such a diverse room one, it's the greatest, in my opinion, defense and apologetic for the reality of God. Because only God can do this. Only God can make himself right with us, and only God can make ourselves right with one another. To be certain, to be certain in a world of uncertainties, to be certain in a world of, that lacks no assurance, it's what we long for. Following Lily's funeral, we all gathered, and we went down to the cemetery for a private graveside service. We invited close friends and family members, and we wanted the children to be included as well. And so we had about 15 little children that circled the casket. And I saw something I've never seen. I saw children that typically would be running I saw children that would typically be playing. I saw children that would typically be noisy because that's what children do. I did not hear a word, but I saw 15 children on their knees surrounding a casket drawn in and witnessing something like they have never witnessed before. And as I watched these 15 children gathered around the casket of my daughter, I couldn't help but to think of the words of John My little children, my little children, are you for certain, are you certain that you know God? Are you certain, my little children? I ask you that question this morning. As little children of God, are you certain? Are you certain? Life is short, and there's a lot of things we waste our time on. The most important question that you can be asked is, little children, are you certain? Are you certain that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? Are you certain about the reality of God in your life? Are you certain about your future? 
As I said, in a life and a world of uncertainties, there is only one thing for certain. When the Apostle Paul says that if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the only assurance and the only thing that you can bank on this morning. The certainty that you can have a future with God and be made right with him. Every other world religion says this. You want nirvana? You want reincarnation? You want peace? You want heaven? You want happiness? You got to climb your way to the top to meet God. And it's only Christianity and Christianity alone that says you want peace and the assurance of eternal life and the hope of heaven. It's the message that says this, that God has come down. And Jesus, with outstretched arms and nail-pierced hands, says this, I have accomplished all the work on your behalf, and now all you have to do is simply believe. There is no greater assurance and no greater certainty. Do you have that certainty this morning? Today is the day. I can assure you, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what tonight will bring. If you do not have the certainty of eternal life, if you do not have the assurance of heaven, then the invitation is for you this morning to come. To come to Jesus who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Upon a life I have not lived, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Little children, I write these things so that you might know you have eternal life. Jesus invites you this morning. He invites you this day to share and to have the certainty and the assurance of salvation today.